You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We're the answers. a production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague. And who am I again? Um, you're Beatmaster, right? I would wish I was Beatmaster. No, <laughs> unfortunately, people, I'm Corey Scott, and I'm back. Yes. Uh, for all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to, G- or go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, go to gncast.com. On Elsnerds, we tend to shoot our mouths off, and I still swear. So uh, hide the kids, hide the wife. <laughs> yes. And joining us on on this on this episode is Christy Cates. Christy, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's 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 great. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. Um, my dog just coughed up something out there. I'm like, wait, that's not good. Doing? Yeah, <laughs> but whatever. That's an after show thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it's not a statement about the show. But we'll <laughs> it was like the loudest I've ever heard him go. I'm like. What is going on? Did the mic pick that up? Oh dear! <laughs> is it your dog or your Jewish grandmother? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a Disney movie that would be! My Jewish <laughs> grandmother, the dog. <laughs> All right. So we, uh, as Corey said, we are here. Um, Corey is actually back. Corey, how you how you doing? How was the the break? Were you doing NaNoWriMo or were you just? Didn't want to see me for a month. What, what was that? <laughs> um, I, I left with the best of intentions, and uh, I broke most of my spirit very early on in the month of November. I did manage to get one writing project done that I've been planning for the last year, and at, in an eight no sorry a six hour span wrote eight thousand plus words, and feel okay about it. Feel less okay with uh, my nano output, but. There's always next time. Yes, 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 there is. Uh, but yeah, so uh, let's dive right into the news um, here, folks. And I think, Chris, you picked these out like last week, didn't you? You picked out, uh, I think, all these stories, right? Oh, yeah. I went in and kind of looked yeah. around to see what you guys were talking about. So I'm wondering no, yeah, you it's cool. chip we in talk, on it. <laughs> yeah, we talk about everything. I mean, there's not, there's not a thing we don't talk about. So, I mean, you... You would have had some of the like the coveted firsts of a show, like the first music <laughs> thing covered about if you talked about music. But we had well, Sean we had Sean Burns from uh uh from Blazing Caribou Studios on and he he covered that with uh Kansas. Oh, Before we jump okay, in, can we yeah. talk about Christy a little bit? Sure. Can we <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I mean I, I, I know her quite a bit because I mean we we play on the same Minecraft server together, so mm-hmm. I That's mean very true. Yeah. So it's like it's like oh whatever it's just just Christy it just picks this girl you know whatever. <laughs> Zappa's yeah. just this guy you know. Yeah. So just this girl looking at a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so so Christy uh, tell uh, tell everyone about yourself a little bit. Uh, okay, well I am a musician first and foremost, um, singer songwriter. Um, I play kind of like a indie rock mix of music that's. Brit rock inspired. I'm a big fan of British rock music, British pop music. Um, 
I also started podcasting a couple years ago um, at the encouragement of one Tom Merritt and Mr. Brian Brushwood, who had me as a guest on their Chord Killer show. That is spun off into a show called Monday Music News, which I host every Monday on DiamondClub.tv. And yeah, I just I do a lot of creative things. I mean, I do music, I do the podcasting. Um, I also do some film work and voiceover work and acting and I play video games with Mr. Gregor here, as he knows. I especially like Minecraft and a lot of the Steam games and put those on Twitch and, and stream those for people. So I do a lot of different things. That's kind of most of it. And I drink a lot of tea and, and consume a lot of chocolate. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this this is great. I know the last time actually I think we played uh, was the Minecraft server had a build-a-thon and I was trying to build something inspired by Doctor Strange completed it, but <laughs> it, I didn't win. Um, was that the Halloween build-a-thon? Yeah, the Halloween yeah, okay. build-a-thon. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, oh hey, Doctor Strange is coming out. You know, it's Halloween. It's Halloween esque because I mean, you know, mysticism yeah, he and was stuff indeed. like that. Yeah. Yes, I made Dormammu, and it freaking looked awesome for <laughs> being Minecraft and not being an excellent builder myself. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so, I, uh, I attempted to fit something in my, you only, you only got like a certain square space to build and I attempted to build something very tall and dramatic and I got about a fifth of the way up and went, it's not going to fit. So I ended up building <laughs> a, a scary underground maze that I made everyone run through. So Which was cool. Was kind of I fun. spent, I'm, I'm going to admit this now, I probably spent about 20 minutes trying to get through the bottom <laughs> maze of that and I'm like, wait, there's awesome. nothing, damn it. Damn it, she got me. <laughs> See, that was the point. So it succeeded. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> But no, so um, now let's get on to the news now that we've formally introduced Christy to the, to our world here. Thank you. I just want to establish uh, very quickly that the maze isn't meant for you. <laughs> <laughs> and the first bit of news is that uh, the Gilmore Girls uh, Year in the Life has came out, come out on Netflix. Um, and it's uh, Lauren Graham and Alexis Bledel on Returning to Stars Hollow. Um, so, Christy, you picked this out. Um, I will admit, I've never really seen, I've, I've seen like bits of episodes, <laughs> mm -hmm. but never really sat down and watched it. Um, I find it funny that everyone want, everyone wants to complain about the fact that it looks like they can't hold a cup of coffee. Like, yeah, like, that's like, always, they, the they've photo, always had prop issues got, like, or the, something. That Like they're holding the cup like this, or <laughs> and I'm like, it's a cup, come on. I mean, there's and it's other, a prop cup, it's not even a regular, yeah. it's a prop cup, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah that series it's interesting with that series because of how you know it ran for six seven seasons and what happened I, i'm not sure what the conflict was at the end but amy sherman paladino who it's you know it's her baby it's her series for some conflict or other she didn't write the final series you know the whole last season of the show so it didn't end the way she apparently wanted it to end. They had other writers come in and fill in those blanks and just kind of take over the main characters and, and write out their stories. And then the, the series ended, which was, you know, some nine, 10 years ago. So now they've brought all these people back and rebooted the series into what they're calling the revival, which is four episodes, um, spring, summer, you know, fall, winter, 90 minutes each. And they've put it up on Netflix, which as you guys know, Netflix is rescuing all kinds of shows and movies and ideas. So it was a, it's a really good place for it. So yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. I mean, I some of the stuff they did with the characters was unexpected. The ending of the revival was unexpected. Left it in a, in a kind of interesting spot. So I, I don't know if they're angling to have even more shows for that on Netflix coming up, like another another series of it, or if that's the way she wanted to leave it, or no one's quite sure. 
So did uh, any of you guys watch it? I haven't seen it yet. My wife has specific problems with the Gilmore Girls, which is that she says that everybody talks so fast that she can't follow the show comfortably. <laughs> okay. And I'm a fast talker. And so then I am listen I. to podcasts at, at, <laughs> at two times speed. And so I wind up getting out of my car and talking myself going 88 miles per hour and going through time. But I yeah, I, I can understand that she just doesn't want to hear more people who talk like I do. <laughs> yeah. I, but I'm pretty I, sure it would be my jam. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I would like the show more because it's kind of like where I lean on on movies and TV shows more than she does. Although the fact that M Melissa McCarthy was a big part of the show for a long time mm -hmm. is one of those things that I think my wife would actually enjoy about it. I think what I liked about it is, um, and what I still like about it is there, the, the show is really stuffed with pop culture references and they're throwaway ones. It's not like they make a point to kind of put their reference on a pedestal and say, Oh, aren't we clever? We're making this reference there. It's as all of us, you know, being nerds and being geeks, we use these things in everyday conversation. We just throw references out and lines from movies and lines from shows and little bits so that, you know, the people you're speaking with are going to get what you're talking about. And I think that's a lot of the premise of the show is that, you know, this, the mother and the daughter who are the main characters, and then the whole town of people have grown up with each other. So they kind of are in each other's heads a little bit and they kind of get all these references they make. And it's just, it's fun to kind of, in addition to just following the plot of the show, it's fun to kind of pick out, you know, oh, I know what that reference is from, or I recognize that. And you'd be surprised, I think, even if you haven't watched the show, how many things you would tune into and recognize, you know, the quotes and the names and the throwaways. And it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, well, I feel like, Oh, go ahead, Gregor. That's the the one thing um, that because I I never got into Gilmore Girls, but I did watch Amy Sherman Pal Palladino's other show that she did for ABC Family. It was ABC. Family. Bunheads. Yeah, that Bunheads. Yeah, Bunheads. Show. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I enjoyed that show. It's similar um, writing, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I I do think I would enjoy uh, Gilmore Girls. I'd probably have to, if not, do a full bore like crash course let's binge through all the episodes get like the greatest hits and then watch mm -hmm. and then watch the netflix revival right <laughs> yeah you and can do gonna... there's there's like some kind of like landmark episodes that you could watch you could probably watch like two or three for, from each season and it would give you a good idea of the storyline that's the structure of the storyline you know oh, they before. should do a thing like that harry potter all the harry potter movies done in an hour and a half that was oh, just yeah. recently released online. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was. Gonna, it, it seems like uh, the CW, and then even going back to when it was uh, the WB uh, before it and UPN combined, was sort of the the beginning of shows that were doing pop culture references. Because it, when Buffy was on, Buffy seemed like it was a lot of the pop culture references kind of leaking mm -hmm. into it. When they started calling them the Scooby Gang, and that kind of built out. I remember Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars making pop culture references, and I'm like. But she's supposed to be in high school, and I don't know if she would know as many of these as she does. But maybe it comes from the relationship with her father. But I've seen that now. This last week, the the DC shows on the CW were doing their big crossover uh, invasion, mm -hmm. and Cisco has this moment where he's in the Arrow Cave, and they've got all the other tech geeks and stuff hanging out, and they're all making movie references. And then they also do it over on Legends of Tomorrow where he's like, oh, you're pulling a Princess Bride reference on me? And he was just kind of like upset. He's like, okay, so everybody's got some geeky guy in the room that can make some pop, pop culture references. And he felt a little bit put off by it. But that that's true. That's really, it's become such a big thing in our culture now to do that. Mm -hmm. And when you see like Ready Player One, which is a book that's based completely around it, 
um, it you kind of have to go back to I think it really began um, hitting the pop culture to reference other pop culture in that era in the the Buffy era. I think Joss was the one who made it massively widespread. I mean, we we watched Gremlins recently on Podcast of Terror. Uh-huh. And Podcast of Terror. Oh no, sorry, uh, Gremlins. Because it's about us. Um, Gremlins <laughs> does references to a lot of Spielberg stuff in the movie, but that's because it was a Spielberg produced film. Right. So they're kind of trying to bring that back. And then Gremlins 2 is a lot of pop culture stuff as well. But it's it's almost like those two movies are not not par for the course. It was rare to see something like that happen. But it's bled into us so much now that I think with with media becoming so prevalent that we all kind of like we all are getting to watch shows together that maybe we wouldn't have seen otherwise because now they're streaming on Netflix or Amazon. We're all reading comics more. It's hit the zeitgeist so hard that it's almost impossible not to quote these things when they pop up. That's what I was going to say is I think that's why it resonates is because it's not just, you know, clever screenwriters that are, that are putting these phrases together and pulling these things out of movies and films and TV shows. It's because we all talk like this. You know, yeah. so many of us talk like this on an everyday basis to the people we know. So in a show, it resonates even more because it's just how you, it's how things are. Yeah or, so, yeah, or even then with like shows like like Gilmore Girls and uh, Buffy and all these ones that made the, Infarnic Mars, that made the pop culture references, the younger viewer or the younger viewers might be like, all right, I'm making this reference, not realizing it's a reference to something else. <laughs> um and like 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 I, I think of it this way i watch a lot of british tv and one of the shows on there is uh a panel show i watch called mock the week where they will do the same th- the same bit that they do on how i met your mother with um but it's it's only with with uh private browsing whenever they say private browsing they're like private browsing private browsing, private browsing. <laughs> <laughs> and they do that and so it's like i could do that then i could be the snob and go oh no i'm not making the how i met your mother reference this is a a mock the week reference what Exactly. You probably yeah. never heard of it. Yeah, you probably never heard of it. Let me go put my pork pie hat on and go <laughs> go segue over to the to the next food truck. It's your meta and reference. Yeah. <laughs> and we're definitely in an era now where we're going to see people that are going to make reference to the new Ghostbusters movie that don't know the references to the old Ghostbusters movies. And there's, yeah, I'm going to be the old geek in the room going, Jesus Christ, kid, why are you killing me? You know, it's like you can't just reference. You have to see the old ones too you know you have to understand that this stems from something but that's the same thing as when i was a kid and i i grew up with movies that were obviously referential to stuff that existed way before i was around and so it it's it's kind of like we we passed the geek baton but now we can all draw from the same stuff so much that it it's it's almost hard to not insert those things into stories and to not constantly do that shorthand. And sometimes it's to the detriment of the stories if in the long run, 10 years down the road, they're not going to get the same pop culture references um, or they're going to see them connected to newer things instead. Right, but that's the beauty of of our streaming system that we have now with places like Netflix is that the Gilmore Girls show, sure, you know, that, that would air on, you know, whatever random television network as a rerun, but it wasn't until it hit Netflix that it hit a whole new generation of people. Yeah. You know, so people who are watching that show in grade school going into high school, you know, who are older now, this if now the new people that are going into, you know, just going into high school are watching Gilmore Girls. It's like another generation of people. And that's happened with so many shows, I think, is that 
they pop up on Netflix. Someone's bored on a Saturday. They go, what's that show? And then they start telling their friends about it. And the buzz gets created around a show that was made in like, you know, the early 90s or the 80s or something, which is really cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, some of these these shows have become evergreen simply because they're either being rediscovered or we're getting new content on them, like Gilmore Girls and Arrested Development Got It or Twin Peaks, which is something that I remember watching the very, very early 90s. And to see <laughs> that show come back so many years later and and have all the people who loved it at the time come back to it. But then all these new people are just like, what the hell's Twin Peaks? I've heard so much about it, but I've never <laughs> seen it. Now I can watch it and prepare for this new show. Uh, Ash versus Evil Dead is another one. Exactly. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so our second story, again, it's one that I've I've heard of. I've heard of the uh, Dark the Dark Crystal. Actually, I think I might have it on VHS. Um, and they a sequel is being revived as a comic book series called The Power of the Dark Crystal, and. So I guess back in 2005, there were plans um, to announce to make a sequel to The Dark Crystal, Jim Henson's uh, 1982 film. Um, so, and I guess the it was a loo- there was a loose script that came out, and so this is going to be coming out from this is going to be coming out as a comic book from Boom Studios. Um, and it will consist of twelve of twelve issues, which uh, Cy Spurrier adapted from the unpublished or unproduced screenplay by David O'Dell. Um, Annette Odell and Craig Pierce and yeah this is pretty cool I don't know who the artist is though um, so I'd be curious to know who's going to be doing the art for this but I I honestly really like this idea because I've seen this with other things I've seen this with um, you know uh, like Titan Comics just did a manga version of uh, Sherlock A Study in Pink um, IDW has right now they are doing uh, Dirk Gently's uh, Salmon of Doubt which was based off of the third book that was being worked on by Douglas Adams before he passed away and so I honestly I love this idea because not only does it bring new lights um, that there's new light to this topic or, or you know to this it's, it's like, like we were talking about earlier this gets new people involved into an older product that they probably wouldn't have seen otherwise because they'd be like wait what's a vhs tape how do i play this <laughs> sort of thing i'm actually super nerd and i have this movie on dvd actually but <laughs> um, <laughs> i really like it because i it's funny you know it's kind of like the old school jim henson you know the way the puppets were created and and just the aesthetic of the whole thing and i think it's going to lend itself well to a comic and I'm not a huge comic book reader, but I can, it's really easy to visualize that style and, you know, the creatures who created this, the Skeksis and the mystics and all of the, the creatures in the story translated to comic book drawing. And I'm imagining whoever's going to do it is going to do it in that kind of really rich detailed, you know, the same as a film where, the, where everything's really rich and detailed and there's just a lot of depth to all the drawings. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. I am disappointed they're not making a film though. So they're taking the, are you saying they're taking the screenplay and making it into the comics? So there's not going yeah. to even be a film? Yeah. Oh, that's there, too bad. Well, there might be a film later, but this, with what this is, it's just the, um, it is just the, the script that they were working on. Um, they're retooling it sort of like um the oh who is it dark horse before marvel bought star wars 
Dark Horse did a series based on the original transcript for Star Wars. So they had a series called The Star Wars <laughs> that was based... And I'm like, wait, whoa, this is weird. Even using the models of like like what Chewbacca was supposed to was going to look like and how he looks like um I'm blanking on the character's name but the uh, <laughs> character from Star Wars Rebels um his and species star killer and yeah. I think Anakin Skywalker maybe was was one of the characters it it was yeah, yeah it, it showed the original take uh, because that script material was still sitting around they've tried for a while to get Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, both sequels. They've also done some other comic stuff. I think Boom maybe actually has been in charge of getting some of the other comic stuff published around these properties. Neil Gaiman was even associated with them at some point, or maybe it was another one of his properties was in the running too. It, it's kind of, it's okay that they're doing it as a comic because sometimes when you do a comic, what it's essentially doing is it's storyboarding the the film potential and then people will sometimes take that there was a time especially in the 90s where everybody who was trying to get a film made decided to go into comics because comics was having a big resurgence and they were like okay well i'll do this comic first and then we can push it up and get the film made um because it was just like we get the sales from the comics we get some we built in audience for it and then we show the people the work and it's a visual thing as opposed to making a blank pitch in an elevator where it's just all verbal and someone has to picture it in their minds this is getting high quality artists a lot of the artists actually work in hollywood too uh steve scross uh mike mcnola these are people who worked on the matrix or worked for disney but were known for comics first so it's very easy to see that this is something especially since Boom does so many licensed comics anyways, things that are based off of animation or based off of other film properties, there's no reason to think that it couldn't go in the reverse. And they've got such a great relationship with the Jim Henson company as it is. And see, that might uh, be really cool because if, like you said, once they do make it into a comic, which is essentially a kind of, you know, expanded storyboard that might encourage them to really want to see what it's like, you know, pushed out into 3D and made into a film. So it might be actually good for the story that they're doing this. That's really cool. Yeah, and The Dark Crystal was such an interesting film in and of itself because it was mm -hmm. 1982, so it's about four years before Labyrinth came out, but it was a very different kind of story than what we were used to with Jim Henson stuff. We had seen Sesame Street and The Muppets, and we had seen, uh, I think Fraggle Rock might have even come out by this point in time, and Fraggle Rock was, was underground, so it was a little bit grungier than what we were used to from his other stuff, but The Dark Crystal was a much more mature story and had elements of horror and things in it. Uh, the Skeksis were kind of terrifying, not just they were scary today. Yeah. They were scary <laughs> yeah. <as hell>. Um, <laughs> and it dealt with spirituality and it dealt with duality and all of these things. And the that quest really, and the prophecy. And yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a high concept fantasy mm -hmm. uh, being done. It was not played down because the people that we thought of were making kids movies. But this is this is a point in time where we we're seeing some of these brave takes that didn't always work out. Uh, Labyrinth is another one. Labyrinth has built a huge cult following over the years, but wasn't necessarily taken as extremely seriously at that point. No. Uh, Disney did their uh, The Black Cauldron, which is oh, based off yeah. of a series of books around that time. And unfortunately was not not a success but it was so different from the other stuff that they had been doing at that point and we were seeing things like legend come out it, it was it was a really cool time because we were getting sort of dreamier fantasy stuff happening 
that wasn't just what the expectation was of like all sword and sorcery and Merlin and Arthur. It was something that was much deeper and it was building kind of like, uh, I keep thinking of like, yes, soundtracks and stuff. But when you even look at things like the never ending story, kids movie, but dealt with some dark stuff and did things that were taken much more seriously than I think what they expected from kids films at that point. So it's good to see this get to come back. I would imagine if they're working from original scripts that have to do with Henson and the people who worked on the film originally, that's there's that's, such an expansive universe to draw from. That's where it, I'm not 100% sure because this is where it says uh, the film the film sequel was being worked on up until two, 2012, but unofficially, it, or though it technically remained in development through 2014, um, Shane Abbs, or at one point Shane Abbas was attached to direct, but he told the Guardian in an interview last year, um, quote, when I was, or when I quit the Dark Crystal, it's it was because I'd fallen in love with Jim with Jim's handwritten notes on what his sequel idea was. All I wanted to do for the fans and for myself was shoot his version of the film, but no one gave a shit about what Jim Henson wanted. That makes me wonder a little bit, especially if this is a, a script that was written by, uh, you know, David O'Dell, Annette O'Dell, and Craig Pierce. If it's based off of that, how true is this thing to the Jim Henson view? That's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what I do know is that Boom did the Muppets comics by Roger Langridge mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago. And they were the first Jim Henson stuff that I was seeing coming out. And Langridge had a very interesting kind of underground art style, but it, it was so perfectly the Muppets. Like he would have pages that were all musical acts. He would have pages that were just straight up skits out of the, out of the show, but done as a comic. And it was so perfect in how it captured what the Muppets were, but made into a comic book. I think Boom really understands the what people want from these properties, and they want to give you the best that they can as far as a version that's respectful to what came before and builds off of the imagination of those things. I think they've proven themselves. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully they'll they'll look to it and, and do something that's incredibly respectful to Jim. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Excuse me. So the next story um, is that the remake of Stargate is not happening, and and we know why. So despite the fact that the 1994 film from director Roland Emmerich and writer-producer Dean Devlin gave us three live-action and one animated television series, a, a whole, plus a wide variety of novels and comic books, excuse me, um, that fans happily consumed the franchise now seems to feel too above us to give any more this despite the fact that we'd been teased or teased with rumblings of mgm and warner brothers partnering with emmerich and devlin for a brand new trilogy but now in an exclusive interview interview with empire devlin reveals that the plans for a remake have fallen through um and i guess according to him he was wait what okay i did not know devlin was involved with the librarians which is awesome i love but, that show yeah um, it, a quote from him is, "It looked it looked good for a couple months, but now it's it's not looking so good." And so, I'm gonna sound like the young idiot jackass here, and I've never seen Stargate. Uh, <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, Stargate's interesting because it's there's so many different versions of Stargate. I mean, you have the original movie, which is kind of an entity, you know, unto itself. They did bring the characters into the series, but, you know, mm-hmm. they were different actors. And I, I kind of feel like the main Daniel Jackson character actually had kind of a different feel going into the series. I don't know how much you guys have seen of it. Um, and then there, there are the two films made kind of from the beginning of the original series. So you have the Ark of Truth and you have, you have Stargate Continuum. And those were good standalone movies on their own. And then they, of course, spun out and they did, you know, Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. I'm not a Stargate Universe fan because I almost feel like they were trying too hard to be like, you know, hip with Stargate, which was just kind of weird. Yeah. But Stargate Atlantis to me kind of also fit into the, the SG-1 trope and the, the themes that the original movie set down. So in making another movie, it sounds like they're trying to remake the original Stargate movie. And I mean... It almost seems like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Stargate fan, don't get me wrong, but this almost seems like overkill because they already redid the Stargate movie and they regenerated it into this new TV series and these two TV movies and these other series after, you know, the original SG-1 series. So yeah. I don't, maybe it's maybe it's a good thing because what are they going to do? Just stick other actors in those roles and well, expect what from it, you know? Yeah, and, and I don't know, maybe it, it could be something where they have something different in mind. But looking at the article here, it says, you know, it, it says that they're um, that he attributes so Devlin puts a lot of the blame on the current system of movie making, where everything is driven by numbers and a desire for the idea of a franchise without the same sort of attention being paid, uh, being paid to the product itself. And so I, I see that, like, if there's not, if it does seem like it's just going to be a money grab. And like where it could just be, oh, let's retell the same stories that we've that we've told time and time again. Um, just well, the, in. the only thing that I, that I think might be like a saving grace for this, since you had pointed out that Devlin is involved in it again, is that he originally had that 1994 feature film Stargate and wanted to, and he wrote it as a trilogy, from what I heard. So yeah. he originally wrote, you yeah. know, the first one, and then he had two more planned, but he never got to do two and three. So maybe in his mind he wanted to come back and do two and three, but now the whole Stargate series has evolved so far past that with all the different TV shows. Maybe it's just beyond, you know, the idea that he had maybe isn't, doesn't fit like a puzzle piece in with the universe anymore. Yeah. Right. There gets to be a point where if the shows have outperformed the movie, the movie, I remember seeing it and I remember being okay, but it wasn't, it, it didn't grab my attention, but the show took on such a huge life of its mm-hmm. own and then to have spin-off and spin-off uh, that was where the fanship was i don't know that the movie has the same degree of fans and certainly no. going back further so it's kind of like if they had done the highlander films and then they did the highlander series and then they went back to the films and just completely ignored the series mm-hmm. when the the highlander series got really popular in the 90s and itself had spin-offs and stuff if they had done the films again and just like said, well, we're just going to ignore that. That would have put people off. Right. I, I think that it's the same thing with this. If we like, oh, Stargate, the shows never happened in this universe. We're just going back to the first film again. I don't know if people would be receptive to it. They have an well, expectation see, now. And also, Corey, circling around to what we were talking about earlier, oddly with the Gilmore Girls references, <laughs> the original Stargate movie was more of a straight man movie. You know, it was right. a it was a sci-fi film, pretty straight ahead. You know, it had its own story and all that type of thing, but it, there, it, there were bits of it that were funny, but not, 
not kind of like a notable humor where when you look at SG one, there's a ton of pop culture references and the main characters of that show, you know, Daniel Jackson and Sam, and they've kind of become their own, they've got their own little fan base and they do, they make a lot of references in that show, just like what we were talking about with the Gilmore girls, you know, where they, they reference current things that are going on, which of course are dated now because the show's older, but you still get the references and you get the jokes. And it's almost like even when they had a serious story, they still would break out and have those little moments that were kind of funnier. So it's almost like the Stargate movie and the Stargate TV shows are further separated. And maybe that's why Devlin is hesitating. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why Devlin is hesitating more. But could you get a point though where you run into a Star Trek situation here? where we are so far gone past the original with Kirk and Spock and all that that we could that it could then be new for people thus we got you know Chris Pine as you know Captain Kirk and stuff like that I don't know the Stargate's old enough to do that what do you guys think I've never seen Stargate so I don't know oh okay Uh, (laughs) well I think I think it would be to its own detriment if they tried to recast those characters. Oh, yes. It would be now a third time because they've had them in the original movie and then they recast them for the TV series. And then now we're going to say, oh, but here's these characters again. I think at the very least you get James Spader back or you get Kurt Russell back if you can, if you can somehow get them to be there to pass it on, just to have that connection to the old thing. But obviously years later, we're going to see new characters we're going to have new stories that we need to develop so if he planned it as a sequel that you know includes those original characters that's probably not going to work but if he plans it as a sequel like we're continuing what we started in stargate but here's where it affects other people in the universe and stuff that may make a little bit more sense okay but they've already done this they already had stargate atlantis they already had stargate right. universe so like i think this the ship has sailed guys <laughs> i really yeah, do yeah it, it, it's really it's <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, who could have thought that after the years in between that Star Wars was actually going to come back? Also true. And then when it came back, that it was going to be kind of universally despised for coming back. But then it was going to come back again and be great again. And then we (laughs) were finally going to get spinoff stuff from the universe uh, that isn't about the Skywalkers and things like that's what we're looking forward to now. It's the audience can be very forgiving if you can take a really good idea and and invent it again for the new people. I mean, I'm not saying that this has actually happened, but <laughs> Devlin did Independence Day and did Independence Day 2, and now there's going to be an Independence Day 3. So it, it's not quite the same distance of time, but it's pretty close. They were not far apart. Yeah. And, and when Independence Day came out compared to when Stargate came out, it was only like a two year difference. True. So the audience can be forgiving if you give us good product uh, or if you can get us excited again. I just. It's just the matter of can we disconnect from what so many people loved about Stargate that wasn't the film? That's the hardest part. Han, Han, the, the, you, you got one. You got one thing here that I wanted. to Fuck, I had something that I wanted to mention that was sort of smart about this but i don't sorry i don't i forgot it i so forgot (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that i mean i'm cool with this i mean i'm cool with with them doing you know if they do different things and oh sorry i remember what it was now because you said that you know uh devlin did the first two independence days independence day two did enough did enough money to warrant a third 
I mean, it's listed as he's a producer on, and it's been announced for 2018. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michael Bay movies make enough money to keep coming back. Yui Bowl Michael. movies kept coming out. It's it. I don't get it. But for some somebody reason, gets it, yeah, <laughs> somewhere. Some, yeah. Yeah, there's an but unfortunately, those were all Uwe Boll. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's why he just he announced like what two months ago that he's retiring from movies and stuff yeah. like that. I'm like, um, and, or... and let's not insult the guy because we just said that we all enjoy the librarians. Yeah, uh, he also was executive producer on Leverage, which I know Gregor, you and I have both been big fans of. Uh, Leverage stands is one of my favorite shows. Like I rewatch the reruns of that all the time. Um, so he's he's certainly capable of doing very good stuff, and if at points in time he's done stuff that we don't like as much, that's okay. But maybe he takes what he learned from doing these TV, ser mm -hmm. TV series and he applies it to the movies. Maybe the fun stuff that was missing from the first Stargate, he learned to interject because he did put a lot more comedy into Independence Day, and he's he's definitely had characters interact better with each other and leverage and librarians. Hey, get John Rogers to co-write it with you. That'd be perfect. Exactly. So, um, the final bit, and this is more of a quickie news thing, um, is that the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 teaser trailer came out, and boy, howdy did I love that. <laughs> Not just the teaser trailer, we got the full trailer now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I believe it's a, yeah, it's a full trailer. Um, I, I think it's listed as a teaser, but um, yeah, I'm curious as to know the timeline of this because we get Baby Groot. And from how I know him from comics, Groot usually goes fairly quickly. Um, I understand um, it's set. This is set. The two is set two months after the first yeah. film ended. So they're you know they're trying to help Peter Quill learn about his parents, and they're trying to keep their little new gang of <laughs> outlaws together, space outlaws. Yeah. So I, it's, it's apparently two months after the first film. So nice. not not too not too far away. Yeah. So, Corey, what do you what did you think of the trailer? Did you see the trailer? Oh, dear Lord, yes. Uh, <laughs> multiple times. Um, I, I watched the, the teaser, the, the first teaser, which was still playing uh, Hooked on a Feeling over the the stuff, where it was just like the so slow crawl stuff of like, here's the characters, here's some stuff. And then you see Baby Groot at the end of it. I'm like, holy crap, Baby Groot is going to be huge. And then the actual trailer comes out, and it's a lot of Baby Groot. But what I appreciated is that it's not all baby Groot. They gave yeah. Drax some great lines. They did some very good stuff with Star-Lord. They gave Drax a new personality. They, <laughs> they definitely are growing Drax a lot. I feel bad <laughs> that um, Zoe Saldana's character didn't get a lot of feature in it other than being kind of the object of, of Star-Lord's affection. The, the, the brunt of the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was a, it's a good joke. I yeah. love seeing Mantis in there because I was a fan of the Abdent Landing stuff uh, where they were when these characters were first starting to get popular. Mm -hmm. But the interaction between Rocket and Groot and then the argument back and <laughs> forth of like, if anybody's going to have tape, it, it's <laughs> going to be you. It, it, it's, it's so it's going to be the one with the atomic bomb in his bag. Like, I... I I rewatched all the Captain Americas. I rewatched the Marvel movies way too much. It's it's kind of a sickness. <laughs> the Captain America movies are probably my favorite of the Marvel films, and I, I think that the the directors of the second one and the third one, who are now going to be doing the Avengers, I think they're great. Uh, the the Russo brothers. Yep. Jonas Is that right? Okay. 
Um, they're fantastic, great superhero action films. They're just so well done. But if I was ever going to be a, a filmmaker, the kind of films that I think I would be more likely to make would be close to what James Gunn does. Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly what he's done with the Guardians of the Galaxy films. It, it's He just lands the comedy. He he lands the heartstrings. He does everything he can to just pull you in. And we talked about when we were reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy the first time, um, it, it feels like such an Americana movie, the, the way that he utilizes the soundtrack and everything. But if you go back and you watch things like Slither, he's already laid that groundwork. Uh, even if you watch his weirder stuff, it's it's he's been so himself... And I think that that's fantastic because he hasn't changed. He's grown. He's absolutely grown. He's he's become more precise. Uh, but he had a new trailer for a new horror movie where everybody's trapped in the building and they it's kind of uh, a Hunger Games kind of thing where they all have to kill each other. They're being forced into doing this a uh, little bit more battle royale. And you can still see this feels like a James Gunn movie. It just doesn't feel like Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn. But it's so 100% right. And... Man, I watched that trailer, and when I saw the movie in the theater, I immediately went home and said to my wife, I'm like, you need to go see this movie, because um, she's not in the Marvel films at all. And I took her to see it, and she loved it. And mm -hmm. she wound up buying it on, on Blu-ray for me when it came out, uh, because she wanted to watch it too. I played the new trailer for her, and she's just as excited about it as I am. And I think <laughs> that's that's really incredible. There's yeah. such fun movies in there, and the thing with them too is the pacing is excellent. I mean, just... You know, so a lot of movies that have the kind of jokes in them that, that they have in these movies can crash and burn really easily just in timing. And they don't do that at all on these. The pacing is just is wonderful. I also wanted to mention really quickly, um, we talked about on Monday Music News today. I'm hoping there's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mixtape Volume 2. Because oh, if you guys is. remember, the, you know, there the soundtrack is. Volume 1 was so much fun just to put on and listen to. It's all these old classic songs and, yeah, songs I didn't even know, really, most of them. But it was... It's just fun. So I'm thinking Star Lord needs, you know, more of the seventies music <laughs> to well, crazy the galaxy have, too. Because that's what how they ended the first one was him opening and playing oh, right. the C, and that's where you got right. the uh the Jackson uh, Five song. Yeah. And James was, just said that. James said that he already knew the songs that were on volume two and he had oh, good. writing the script for the second one. <laughs> like awesome. he he knows exactly what he's doing to bring this stuff across. He knows what people want. But he also knows how to change it up. And the fact that you're seeing a tiny version of Groot and, and you're still hearing Vin Diesel do the voice and doing an amazing job of doing like a teeny little guy voice is so perfect because it changes the expectations. It, it's like, well, OK, so he's just going to hang out on, on Rocket Shoulder. But then you get to see him actually going and fighting with people um, <laughs> and, and still seeing his, his whole personality shine through. It is so well done he he just he knows what to do with these characters yep. and he gets the benefit because they're not well-known characters it's not captain america it's not iron man it's not things that people had expectations of but now that we expect things from the first film how does he how does he up it in the second one i'm i'm just positive he's going to be able to do it yeah, yeah. Me too. the other thing i will point out and it's interesting that the host of monday music news didn't point out the music for it that much but I appreciate the fact that, like, with Guardians of the Galaxy, you have Spirit in the Sky being played in a right purpose. <laughs> Fast forward to Suicide Squad. Oh, they're flying in the air. We need a song. What about Spirit in the Sky? Come on! <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one knock I have on Suicide Squad that, 
to me is a bigger knock is like you put that you put that song in there just because it talked about being in the sky right suicide squad it all the the music felt like it was placed there just it was like a music video it's like here's a scene then we need to say this about it what's what's a what's as dead on as we can get with it yeah um and that that was too bad but that that's that's a production team that's people who do not have faith in the filmmaker to make these decisions and i think that 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 showed and that's something that uh dc's been called out enough on that i don't expect that's going to be things going forward hopefully um but yeah it was like it was like forrest gump it's like here's a moment and here's the the perfect song for that moment as we see it and it's just like oh yeah we nailed it yeah because all you can do is nail it (laughs) try to try to think outside the box a little bit yeah well that is it for the news and we will be right back do you like scary movies did you answer yes to that question have you ever thought hmm I'd really like to listen to two random strangers talk on the internet about some movies that I may or may not have watched at some point in my life. Sometimes they even bring guests on, which adds to a little bit of the banter. Sometimes we cover the news of the week. Sometimes we don't talk about the movie at all. Sometimes one of us gets a little bit drunk. It's just the way that we do things over at the Podcast of Terror, which is a production of Galactic Netcast, in case you weren't sure. If you're interested in this, please go ahead and head over to gncast.com slash pot. Subscribe and enjoy the crap out of it. And we are back, and it is time for Nerding Out. This is the section of the show where where we each have brought something that we have been nerding out about, and we want to share it with you guys. And um, Christy, as our guest and as the lady, I would be a gentleman <laughs> and say, you can go first. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Um, I, can, I actually wanted to talk with you guys, and I'm, I'm glad you guys, I think we mentioned before the show that everyone's watching this show. Um, I wanted to talk a little about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for some reason, I hear a lot of people kind of criticizing the show a lot, and especially when they had Ghost Rider on, they were criticizing, oh, the Ghost Rider special effects were horrible, and et cetera, et cetera. I don't think people are paying enough attention to how well this show is drawn. The characters of this show are super strong. The plot line is is just, I think, amazing to me, the way they're weaving the story around. And especially, are we allowed to spoil on this show or not? Shall I warn you? Oh, yeah, for spoilers? Go for it. Okay, so last week's episode, um, I was really impressed by the acting. Um, the character of Fitz and the character of Coulson, you know, had been kind of pulled away into what we're not sure yet, maybe another dimension or a parallel universe or something of that nature, where they're, you know, or just a different a different plane. I'm not even sure where they're at, but they had to act alongside people who weren't even in the same, (laughs) the same dimension with them. And just watching that acting, I almost wanted to rewind and watch it again. I was too embroiled in the story to do so, but you know, I I was just so impressed by how they can do that. And I think the show is so underrated. The acting is great in it. The characters are strong in it. This storyline that they're weaving around, it's, it's not boring to me yet. I don't know what everybody's so critical about. I think it deserves a lot more love this show. I think the why everyone was so critical was because of the fact that you had or that the show really didn't pick up until the tie-in with Winter Soldier. With Winter Soldier. No, so, so you we, didn't so did you not think it was a good show prior to that? No, I thought it was good. Oh, okay. I yeah, I'm the I am the ever the optimist when it comes <laughs> to when it comes to a lot of things. But a lot of people were complaining, like, oh, it wasn't good until 
you know, they came in and, oh, you saw Nick Fury in there and, you know, he said that, that S.H.I.E.L.D. is no more and all that stuff. And then it sort of became a labor to try to do the 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 tie-in to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. See, I like the show. I mean, I've liked it all along. I mean, I like yeah. I like this this you know this season very much. But I li- I've liked every season so far, and I just I feel yeah. like perhaps some of these people that are being so critical are people that were already into the Marvel universe, whereas this particular branch of the Marvel universe was not super familiar to me. So I was more being introduced to the characters on their own merit through the through yeah. the show. So to me, you know, I was developing. Oh, I like this character. Or that's a strong character. I just like this this villain or whatever, just based on watching the show. And perhaps people that were further into the Marvel universe, reading the comics, that sort of thing. Maybe that's why where a lot of the criticism is coming from is that it's not living up to what they saw in the comics or in their in their I head mean, when they were I, reading. That or could be, that could be. I mean, I think a lot of it was like it was in their opinions. It was a promise that wasn't fulfilled. Because you're like, oh well, we'll see. You know, we'll have cro- we'll have crossovers and stuff. We'll tie in between you know the TV shows and the movies, and it never really did. It's just more like we saw the effects of of Winter Soldier and Civil War and Thor: The Dark World, and you know all these other movies in mentions. Like with I think with the biggest one being Thor: The Dark World, where they had they actually were at the the place that the finale, that the end of the movie took place in, you know, they went they went over to England mm-hmm. and filmed all that stuff. Me, I I never had the problem. I like that because it's like, oh yeah, they're fulfilling they're fulfilling a promise. It, yes, it's not going to be like you, like you want it, but then again, you are also the same type of person who wanted to reveal who Negan killed at the end at the end of last season of The Walking Dead. You know, <laughs> you are you're wanting to complain because you're. And I'm using the metaphorical you, not <laughs> anyone else, anyone in particular here. Um, you want to complain because you don't, because it wasn't how you expected it to be. And you think you know right when here a lot of the people in there are comic book writers, are comic book fans. And no, well, let me tell you what you're describing is comic book fans. Though. No, I know. <laughs> like, I know. Telling you how it should be done yeah. is, is kind of our raison d'etre. It, it, that's <laughs> who we are as people. And I, by people, I mean trolls that live in our parents' basements. Um, it, it's, it's, I think the show, honestly, for me, was at its best when it was about the characters. Mm-hmm. And they weren't reacting. Now there's the there's the one way window aspect of of the Marvel TV universe, which includes the Netflix shows, because there's always this unspoken like, well, at some point they're going to have the Defenders show up in the films, right? And they keep kind of backing away from that, saying, no, we're probably not going to wind up doing that because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. One, we're going to have to introduce them in movies where they've not been and explain who they are in that context when we are telling huge stories here and we only get two hours to do it um, versus the shows on on Netflix themselves. They have the room to grow and do these things. We can't lay that expectation out there. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been like that since day one. Uh, Agent Carter got a little bit more benefit because the actress was in the movies already. Coulson was in the movies but is considered dead in the films and they don't want to try to explain that in the films 
by bringing him back out. It's it's kind of a tough call to make that happen. But that was when the Marvel Universe stuff started. It was like all of this is connected. It's all one universe. And what so many people had a problem with with DC is that it wasn't one universe. It's like the shows are the shows and the movies are the movies. Never the twain shall meet. Oh, just kidding. It's sort of maybe a crisis on universe Earth. They're all just different <laughs> alternate realities. But that's bullshit because if you don't cast that die, it never rolls. It doesn't happen. Um, but I think the show succeeds most when the characters are around each other. And so much of the show has unfortunately been reacting to the movies uh, or introducing giant plots that take them away from from being in a room together that that kind of bums me out. I feel like the Inhumans thing went on too long and it, it took away from it being a show about spies yeah. and, and secret agents. I thought that was much more interesting. And the introduction of superpowers, it's like, well, people say they wanted to be a superhero show because that's what they're coming from. I didn't want it to be a superhero show. I wanted it to be an agency that maybe had to deal with people with superpowers sometimes, but I really thought that it was much more interesting when it was espionage um, more than who's going to get to make fire out of their hands and who's going to shoot lightning and all these other things. I, I think it struggles to identify itself because it has to react to the films. And I think as they move away from that again, because they're realizing that it's not been to their betterment, uh, that it will become a better program. I just hope it's not too late because the viewership has not been strong. Well, see, and that's what bugs me. And what exactly what you were talking about, Corey, is how the biggest thing I like about the show is the relationships and is the fact that and I'm going to mention Agent Carter in a minute, so I got two points I want to make. <laughs> um, one is, you know, the the relationship between Phil Coulson and Melinda May. I mean, that's that's its own, you know, little bubble. And then you have the Fitzsimmons relationship, and then you have this kind of newish character of Radcliffe and his scientific work. And I think one of the most interesting things about Agents of Shield is exactly what you said. It's the espionage. It's the fact that they're spies. It's the fact that they're in, you know, the bus, this plane that they can, you know, they can cloak. And the fact that they have scientists on the bus that are actually doing scientific things that aren't just, you know, there for show. They're not just tipping a beaker and another beaker and then running off and doing something else. They they really dig into a lot of those interesting things with the, you know, with the terogenesis and, and all the research that she's doing. And I find that stuff really super fascinating. So when they're out doing like kind of fighting crash bang stuff, I'm almost half waiting for them to get back to the bus and, and kind of delve further into the reasons behind why this stuff is happening why are yeah. you know why are people mutating why do they have superpowers all this kind of stuff so yeah i agree with you Corey. i, I like that facet of the show a lot and i hope they expand on that um and then again with agent carter i've had so many opportunities to complain about the fact that it was canceled just because it was so unique it was set in a unique yeah. time period we're you know we're back to we're back to topic one gilmore girls at banter with the references back and forth and they they were excellent at that and i love the characters of it i think agent carter was such a strong character you know, Jarvis is a strong character. It was cool to see Howard Stark in, in this kind of, you know, being a little bit of a doofus multimillionaire guy. And yeah, I'm sad that show's gone. I think that was a really good piece of the of the puzzle and a good companion to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, in the long run, Agent Carter is going to be looked at as the show that's going to be the most missed, oh, um, like a oh. huge missed opportunity by not having it continue. I, I Haley Atwell is, of course, incredible. Um but but just to get her and the guy who played Stark from from the movies to go do the show, the introduction of the original Jarvis. But when these shows create their own things, like the the stuff with Pat Oswalt's character, 
uh, playing the the multiple different personas <laughs> yeah. that all looked like and and not necessarily getting an explanation of it and introducing things like life model decoy that's the things i think that make agents of shield work better yep. than we've we've got stuff that is we've got to figure out how to contain hulk and we have to figure out how to do this other thing um we have to tie into the next thor movie I, those are the parts with that i feel are a detriment it's just so exciting and i think the other portion of it is, is that it it was promised to us that it was a Joss Whedon project, but Joss isn't really involved in it. It's sure. it's Jed Whedon. It's people who've worked with him, who've mm -hmm. worked on things like Firefly. And so I just want to be, I mean, it's, it's what a horrible thing to say, but I want to be like Firefly. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be that kind of like interactions that those characters were so fully realized. And the follow-up to Fire, Firefly, a lot of people don't realize, wasn't the Avengers. It was Dollhouse. And Dollhouse did not get an audience and people didn't get dollhouse until later in the series and that's kind of what happened with agents of shield it was like almost the end of the first season that we saw the big changeover happen and it became really intriguing people got into it right but then they kind of dusted that by the end of the season too soon and well i think that's because they were trying they were working so hard to to pull all those i mean there's no reason it can't exist alongside the films as another marvel property where the characters talk about each other it doesn't have to you know they don't have to have these big like splashy fiery crossover actualities they can just have the discussion where the where the storylines tie back and forth i think that would probably be plenty for a series like agents of shield that is drawn so heavily on strong characters of their own yeah and, yeah, and the idea of doing superpowers on TV, we should never expect them to look as good as the films do. And if you watch The Flash, The Flash is pulling off some amazing stuff with the effects that it uses. But the effects are not really any better than they are on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was doing fight scenes, I think, that were more oh yeah better choreographed than what we were seeing on Arrow. And now I think Arrow is starting to step up its game because of what we were seeing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm finally seeing some of the fight scenes on that that are comparing to things like when Daisy was going into the room and it was all one continuous shot. Oh, one and take, yeah. Everybody's ass. Yeah, it was mean, amazing. Great stuff. And what May does has been amazing since the beginning. The, the quality that we're getting from these actors to get them to do these stunts, to get them to perform in the way that they are, I think is really being overlooked um, because it's, it's being compared to the films where the DC shows don't get compared to the films. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not fair. And I think that that's why, again, people are are treating it with a disrespect that it doesn't deserve. My point exactly. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm honestly more interested in, like, yeah, I like the little Easter eggs. I like that they've gotten to a point now where it's it's, um, like it doesn't seem like everything's like, oh well, here's the Doctor Strange crossover, quote unquote crossover event. Or, you know, something like that. But you have the, um, like, these little throwaways. Like, the first episode of the season, they actually mentioned the Sokovia Accords. And the first three episodes were were loosely based on the Sokovia Accords, but how they affected Inhumans and all that. And in a way, setting up for the Inhumans TV show, if it were to be focused more on the new humans as opposed to the royal family um sort of See, thing. that's a good point you can keep that world alive without having to do yep. the actual physical crossovers of the characters and dragging the bigger actors into the show you can keep just like what you said about the sokovia accord you can keep those mythologies going 
without having to spoil each show's integrity in the process. And and it is, and I will say it is a fair, a fine balance because that was the that was one of the things I didn't like about the Supergirl pilot is it was like, well, let's bash us over the head with Superman, but never say Superman. Like, oh, what about your cousin over in <laughs> Metropolis? Or what about this man of steel? And, you know, every other nickname he has. It's like, just call him fucking Superman already. Come on, just do it. I, I think that. I think in retrospect, I mean, one, it, it, it's probably obvious that they weren't sure if they should or could ever say Superman on the show. But two, it, it didn't do a lot to have the show come out and be talking about the superhero that everybody knows um, that has so many similarities to the superhero that they're trying to show you. Um, so they had yeah. to kind of give her the yeah. ability to be the primary for a while before they introduced Superman. And when they introduced Superman, they didn't have his character outdo hers. Uh, they showed them working as a fantastic team. They showed them learning from each other. They showed them both having things that they excelled at over the other one. I thought that was great. It was handled really well. Um, but I, I, I understand like, yeah, but if we keep talking about Superman, people are going to say then why the hell didn't you just do a Superman show? <laughs> exactly. yeah. And I, I love the Supergirl show and I love how they're doing her character mm-hmm. enough to say, I'm glad that this is what we got. Yeah. Oh no, same here. Um, but yeah, I will add that I do think there will be more benefits with the Inhumans when that comes out. Than there will be with, you know, just like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. trying to tie in with the movies and all that. Because I will say, I do think we already had our Easter egg with Doctor Strange. And that was with last with the last episode. Mm-hmm. Because it looks like they took the effect um, from going into the mirror dimension in Doctor Strange and put it in and used it for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like when, when Coulson was being pulled by and Fitz was holding on him I feel like that was like more of all right this is a dimension like I like the dark like the dark dimension or something like that that was like oh it's a little easter egg we're not going to mention it exactly but it's an easter egg sort of deal you know it also is a bummer about that too kind of semi-related is I'm really bummed that we lost Bobby Morse and Lance Hunter because they spun them off to make Marvel's Most Wanted and then they didn't and they can't seem... I mean, I don't know if they're figuring out a way to pull those two characters back in or what, but that's just... They were such good characters. I'm bummed they're gone. The problem... Yeah, the problem with it, though, is uh, Adrian Pilecki is involved with the Seth MacFarlane live-action thingy that was going on. His sci-fi show. The sci-fi... Yeah, the sci-fi show. okay. Um, and then the actor who plays Lance Hunter, uh, I hope he's involved with the series. The Nick Blood? Ser- yeah, Nick yeah. Blood, the, the series uh, that he did right before Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. called Babylon. I hope they're doing a second series of that hmm. over in the U.K. because that was freaking awesome. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, contract stuff is always difficult. And when you write people out to give them the opportunity to do new pilot but the pilot's not 100% greenlit it's yeah. always the chance and i i love those characters i bobby is is one of my favorite characters in general and she was portrayed so well on the series um that she was very exciting but it's also like we have bobby we have may we have daisy who's developed and 
are they kind of crossing over too much? Are we getting... Oh, I thought they were all really different, characters. actually. Didn't you think I, they were I thought all they really were different? different, too, but yeah. I think as they were trying to get Daisy to be more of an action badass like May, May had trained her and pulled her up and everything, was it... As a, as a writer, do you want characters that all have essentially the same skill set at that well, point? Well, I thought they actually had... They each had a very different personal growth arc, and that's what made them different. But that's going back to what you said before about the show being more about the relationships between the people than it is about the, you know, the smash bang fighting stuff. So yeah. I guess that's kind of like a 50, 50, but I mean, I miss the guy who came in after, um, Oh geez. I can't even remember anybody's names. Now the, the, there was a guy who was the traitor, uh, who was, yeah, Grant Ward, who, oh, who's yeah. too long. <laughs> but after he left, we had the guy who came in, who was the grandson from the Howling commandos. That was only there for the end trip. of the first season. Yeah, trip, and and like unfortunately was killed off at the halfway point of the second season. I love trip, and I mm-hmm. wanted trip to stick around because he he was the perfect antithesis to to Grant Ward because he was fun, he was light, he had a better camaraderie with everybody, and he was someone that we build a trust with. And then they tossed him out. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy people like Mac and stuff, but it felt like it was like we're getting rid of him to make room for these other people to come in. And in the end, it's like, well, what how much benefit did we get from that? And why couldn't we have had him, too? It was such a weird way to lose the character um, who I thought was such a positive aspect of the show. But at the same time, I'm going to point out that a lot of what they're dealing with as agents. And again, you know, back to what we were talking about where the agents are the, you know, the spy, the intelligence stuff is a really strong point of the series. That's probably more realistic though, is that you get no, people absolutely. in there, you know, in your fold that, you know, they're in your fold, they're part of your spy family and they're, they're your friends and they're gone all of a sudden. And that's probably yeah, you can, more realistic than, unfortunately, but you can <laughs> for, the, for the storyline. Like, I was pissed when Lucy Lawless was on there for one episode and they killed her. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You got Lucy Lawless. <laughs> what, what have you done to me? I was very sad at that. I don't know if you guys saw the episode, the spies goodbye episode. Oh, that was yep. so sad. Very, very, very sad episode. Yeah. That was, I think that was the backdoor pilot for. Yeah. For uh, Marvel's most for wanted. Most wanted. And right. unfortunately that didn't go anywhere. Um. Yeah. So uh, I think, Agents of Shield has what the episode this week, and then it's uh, that's the winter finale. Then they're back in mid January. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of a weird break to take. That, well, yeah. they used to fill they used to fill that space with Agent Carter, which was then it was right. fine because it was fun. But now it's kind of just like nothing as till they return with the show. So yeah, it's kind of it's well they're, they're not doing the tie in. I think what they're doing is ABC's doing the uh, match game and uh, uh, to tell the truth. Hmm. In That's there, nice. I, I saw the, I saw the, I saw the trailers or like the little commercials for those, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I actually, because I really like liked Match Game. Um, oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, the new one. I would like it more if Dick D. Bartolo was involved, but <laughs> I mean, it's still it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, Alec Baldwin gets in on the uh, guests who come up with the dumbest answers. <laughs> I mean, like dumb. You're, you're sitting there going really How, okay sure watch no one <laughs> <laughs> yeah the nighttime game shows are they're very inexpensive to make uh but they're they're filler 
as far as entertainment yeah. and and which is fine you know sometimes you just want to watch something and kind of veg out and not have to think too hard about it but it, it's hard to replace that point of and again we're, we're looking at a show that's that's very story driven very character driven and it goes through a break through the thanksgiving holiday comes back it's two episodes then goes on a break again it's real easy to lose a momentum uh, when in the middle of big storylines while that stuff is happening. And, yeah. and that's tough to get people to recover. And like, that's what happened a few years ago with the a writer strike mm-hmm. is that a lot of shows that were really beloved and were starting to build up following disappeared. Like Pushing Daisies is a great example. It was an excellent show, had a huge cult following, has built more of a following after that, but lost so much because it had to take a break because of the writer's right. strike and never recovered from it. But I, I will I will ask you this: Which would you rather have, the be on for two weeks, off two weeks sort of thing, like we got with Agents of Shield, or what we got with Superstore and um, the Good Place, where they ended the end of or the beginning of no- November for, uh, the, for the mid season break? Me personally, the second one. I'd rather have tighter story arcs. Uh, like we talk about with but, but a longer shows and break, like that. And then, longer then you're break. just looking forward to another season, so you can just you can like you know it's a concrete way to look forward to oh the next season starts in March or whenever it is. Yeah, I mean, so, isn't that yeah. how Walking Dead does it? That's that show has it. zero success. Game of Thrones, <laughs> you're right. yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's it, it is how Walking Dead does it. It is how USA does a lot of their shows um, that we used to talk a lot about, but they started ending <laughs> them shows that we talked about. Um, but yeah, so um, sticking with the TV theme here, Corey, you're, you've been watching Search Party. Um, and this is a really good example of what I'm talking about. So Search yeah. Party, uh, TBS comedy, maybe? I mean, it, it, it was it was reasonably funny. Uh, came out the week. <laughs> TBS, reasonably funny. <laughs> reasonably funny is a good pitch for TBS. I mean... If you're not Samantha B, then I'm not sure that you're quite at the level of hilariousness that that she is. But uh, Search Party, basically a 10-episode series. They played it two episodes a night for a week uh, during the Thanksgiving holiday week. And you could watch them all in one sitting if you had them on demand, which Comcast did. Yeah, it probably was through other ones, and they probably still are. Uh, or you could just sit there and DVR it and watch it. We watched the first six episodes one night, and then the next night we watched the other four um, to and just kind of busted through it. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect out of it, but it's basically it's a woman kind of living in New York, has that group of friends that everybody's sort of superficial. Her life's not exactly perfect, and she's trying to find meeting, meaning uh, she's working as an assistant to a woman who doesn't really necessarily need an assistant, but just needs someone to kind of like help keep their life afloat a little bit. <laughs> and she's trying to do things that are are more meaningful. She tries to become a, a mentor to young women and it doesn't work out. But at the same time, she finds out that a girl that her and her friends went to college with has disappeared and everybody's looking for her. And they all assume that she's been kidnapped or murdered. And she gets obsessed with this girl's disappearance. She didn't really know her, but she feels a connection to her. And so she she tries to figure out what happened to her. And the adventure is like she keeps going down this road. Like, I'm going to talk to her family. I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to 
like she has no investigative skills, but she gets pulled into this thing and brings her friends and her boyfriend with her in it. Um, a lot of really good guests show up on this. Um, Rosie Perez shows up kind of initially as a person who says, I know about your friend and there are people who were following her and they're following me. And then it sort of becomes apparent that Rosie Perez is actually out of her goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> She meets up with uh, Parker Posey in this group of people that are apparently a cult that work at the storefront. Ron Livingston shows up as a private detective that says he works for the family, uh, but then there becomes suspicions about him. So all these these interesting character actors show up in this to kind of build out the story. But while she's going to the police and saying, I found this, the police don't care. They don't seem to give a damn. She goes to try to help the family. She's like, I saw your daughter. I saw her at this Chinese food restaurant. And they're like, what are you saying? You're saying you saw her? Where is she? And they start yelling at her. The mom starts yelling at her because she's freaking out because it just seems like this person comes out of nowhere, says some outlandish things, but has no way to back it up. Um, so getting the benefit of watching this in, in quick succession is you don't feel like you're taken away from the mystery. You don't feel like you have to wait too long to get the answers because it's 10 episodes. It's five hours of TV, uh, less than that without commercials. And it goes really quick. And does, you, it, does it end after 10 episodes? Is there like a conclusion? It does. Oh, okay. We get to a definite conclusion of it. I, I don't know if there's going to be another season of it. I don't know if they could do another season with these characters because it ends in such a way that it's, it's a hard ending. I mean, it, it's not like it, Nobody feels great about where they are in the place when this is over, <laughs> but it's reasonable that it feels like this is where it should end and, and you get a whole story. And I think that it's kind of really well done. Like we were watching it. And first of all, most of the people are incredibly unlikable. Uh, one of her friends is a guy who uh, is constantly like trying to one up people of like, Oh, you know, yeah, you're having a really hard time. But when I had cancer as a kid and I had leukemia and I decided to dedicate my life to bringing water to people and stuff. And he's just, he's full of himself and he's kind of full of shit. Um, <laughs> but everybody just kind of buys into it because of who he is and because they've been friends with him for so long. Uh, she goes and tries to get advice from her ex-boyfriend. Her ex-boyfriend's like, you're just doing this because you're having problems with your own life. And he calls her out and she gets really pissed off at him about it. Her current boyfriend and her are having kind of relationship woes. Uh, another one of her best friends is just gotten a role on a TV show as an actress and is really excited about it. But her mom doesn't seem to give a shit about it. And she's just like, nobody seems to respect me. Uh, so it's, it's comparative to, I guess the show girls in certain respects. Uh, but where I find, and I try not to, I, I tried a couple of times to watch girls. I just find some of the people on that show so shallow that I can't, enjoy it at all everybody on this equally shallow to a degree but there was more depth there and again because it goes through it's giving you something else to sink your teeth into because it's not just about a bunch of shallow friends but it's about a bunch of shallow friends also trying to do something like solve the disappearance of this person that they knew so the story uh, itself kind of shored up the characters that you didn't like <laughs> it, yeah it gives them a purpose yeah you, know, you watch girls and it's like oh we're all assholes and the show is about us being assholes. This is a show about assholes who actually there's a plot in t in there too, um, and and that's the thing. And and girls is not the only example of that kind of show. 
Um, but it, it's certainly the first one I thought of when I was looking at this and like, am I going to enjoy this a lot? As, as much as we, we watch it, it started to get funnier and funnier. And even the people that were the most annoying, like the friend who, who keeps trying to one up everybody, you start to like him more in spite of the fact that he's just awful. He's just <laughs> truly awful. Uh, and he gets a sort of comeuppance and you don't feel bad for him about the comeuppance, but you just kind of like, yeah, but I still like you. It's kind of, you dick. Um, it there's, I think it's a really fun, interesting style of show. And I think they, they just landed it just perfectly by making it as short as they did. And this is what I'd like to see with more shows. Uh, Gregor and I talk about this a lot with BBC shows is that they do 10 episodes a season or a series and, and you get a whole section of it and then it moves on or if you look at things even more extreme like sherlock which is usually three short movies every season um but but they all feel complete when you move on or not necessarily like we're done but i feel like i'm at a good break where i can handle yeah it's going to take two and a half years until we get the next episodes (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely um so you would recommend search party then I would definitely recommend it. I, I think if you can get through the first two to three episodes, and that's often the case with these things, when it starts to to really kind of... The first episode is all laying the groundwork of like, she she's dealing with stuff in her life, and then she realizes that she really is kind of obsessed with this person who's disappeared. And then you kind of see how it starts to come together after that. But in the end, when they reveal exactly what happened... And how it all finishes up, it's a pretty intense ending, and and I think that it's the only way that it really could have ended. Yeah, sweet. So, and my nerding out is sixty comic book issues, actually sixty plus comic book issues. Um, this is a full series. This is the first time I've, I've done a review like this, but a full series review for the comic book Chew. Um, and they recently what two weeks ago wrapped up with issue number 60 and as you can see if you're watching the video version um beat has the on the screen the straight from image comics the series of chew and what chew is is chew is set in this world um where you have uh you have uh tony chew who is a detective with a secret um and that is uh, he is a chibopath which means anything he eats, he gets a psychic a psychic impression on. Um, meaning, if he eats a if he eats beef, he 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 can relive how that cow was murdered. If he eats a carrot, he could relive how that carrot was murdered. Um, and all this, the only thing his power doesn't or that doesn't work for him is beets. He can eat so mainly he is he is a beetarian. Um, sorry, Beatmaster. Um, um, you're in short supply in this world. Um, Drop those tasty beats. <laughs> and he, this, uh, the, I should, I should also point out right now that the book is uh, written by John Layman and drawn by Rob Gilroy. The art in here is hilarious. Um, they throw in speaking to the common through line here of pop culture references there are pop culture references throughout the book that you if you catch them you're like oh my gosh that's so cool but if you don't you're like and you see it later you're like 
how did I miss that? I'm a big, <laughs> you know, whatever fan it might be. Um, Gilroy's art style is really distinct. Yeah. And it, it stands out because you're expecting, you know, it's it's a detective story, um, but he, he's not a he's not a FBI agent or anything. He works for the Food and Drug Administration, right? Or, <laughs> yeah, he, he works for the FDA. Um, so because this... of the um, the bird flu scare, so <laughs> eating poultry has become illegal. So there's there's underground chicken farms and things, and now as replacement, people eat things that are kind of like weird bread frogs it's, to get yeah, similar tastes. It's it's a frog that's like crossbred with something else. They they call it a chog. Um, C H O G G, I believe is how it's spelled. Chicken frog. Yeah. And it's where it, it's like, oh, you know, the whole the old adage, oh, it tastes like chicken mm-hmm. um, sort of deal. But you go on through and you have there are the powers that get created in here are some of the most hilarious powers ever. Like um, one is the ability to create ninja stars out of tortilla shells um, <laughs> and they be as deadly as ninja stars or create weapons out of chocolate or um like well, where... his girlfriend has an interesting power yeah, in that she yeah. she can describe anything that she's eaten, and people will feel the sensation of eating it. They'll they'll taste exactly what she's eaten. So she becomes a food critic, but she gets bored of the fact that like she doesn't want to review all these great exotic, incredible <laughs> meals. She starts re- reviewing the most revolting things that you could possibly eat, and so people yeah. read her stuff and just get instantly vomitous and <laughs> and can't handle. It. And she just finds so much joy in it. It's just like, yeah. I'm going to describe the worst things possible that I've ever eaten. And she's just so happy to do it because of what it's bringing these other people. It's, so it's... the the cool part about this is there was for a while, and I don't know what happened to it. I have not been able to find it, but there was um, the workings of an animated movie. And the, so I, sh- I should point out that Tony, Tony Chu's character, his power as a tribal path, there are like, I think Four in this universe his daughter is one his first partner was another and then the main villain is the fourth his main partner was going to be voiced by robin williams oh. in the and i'm like oh it's such a good choice and then um tony chu was played was gonna be played by steven young and um his girlfriend was gonna be played by felicia day and David Tennant is supposed to be playing Mason Savoy. Yeah, <laughs> who is that's the first partner that I mentioned. Um, but yeah, it and it's so you go through and you, there's some of these adventures where you're you're just fine. You're just like they're random little bits. They're all broken down into like about six issues of volume. And the <laughs> one of my favorite moments is a chicken called Poyo, and he is <laughs> a cybernetic. Uh, like a cyborg chicken and they will mention like oh hey where's Poyo and cut to a next page which is a, a, spl- a splash page double page feature of Poyo versus the cat squid or whatever thing it, it came up to where they had what two two or three uh, Poyo standalone book or issues um but yeah it is one of these books from image comics or in comic books in general where it's not a typical superhero book. It's not a cape and cowl book, and it's not a horror comic book, but it is just great fun. Where yes, there is language, yes, there is violence and stuff like that, but it is still very 
cleverly done. And I should add, because I've heard some people mention, like, oh, some poo- who poo-pooed issue 60, which is where they ended. Um, I actually really enjoyed it because it did stick with the the how they've done everything else. With everything else, they always had an epilogue to these to these uh, stories. Um, so, like, Beat po- showed the picture of, from Taster's Choice, the I think it was the first volume. Um, they had an epilogue to that story. And so with issue 60, it was the whole issue was an epilogue to the series, but also to the last volume, which I'm blanking on. Uh, it's called Sour Grapes, I believe. And it's just honestly brilliant. I love the art. Corey hit it on the head. <laughs> Corey did half of my review for me with, with by mentioning <laughs> a lot of the things. But this is also because Corey turned me on to the book. Um, Corey turned me on to the book I kept reading. He got out of comic books because life and stuff like that. We're and on a I'm break. Si- yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not comic books. It's him. Do the comic <laughs> books know you're on a break? Just make sure they uh, know. They do. <laughs> okay. After I, I help close my local comic store that I I actually have assisted at. Uh, yeah, it, it was like it's time. It's time for me to take a little break. But I want to come back to comics when I have the joy of reading comics again. Yeah. And part of that is personal time. Part of that is income. So I can actually support the medium. And sometimes it's just nice to be able to wait for a series like this to get finished. Uh, 60, 60 issues is not a lot to read when you're going and you're, you're checking out something, but mm-hmm. it's a long time to wait when it comes out as a monthly yeah. book. Right. Um, now I love this kind of, book though because it's kind of like what i remember reading of preacher and um other things like ex machina by brian k vaughn it's something that there was a definite plan going in of what the story was that they wanted to tell and when they were going to end it and yeah some things can get added and altered along the way but for the most part you can see this was so well planned um that layman and gilroy knew where they were going to go and how they're going to bring it home and I think that that is perfect because you don't want a book that just goes on forever to because yeah. we're making money. Why would we stop? Um, sometimes it's good to know when to close the door on something. No, yeah, and it, it does seem like 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 this book. I didn't have what I have with another book um, called Revival by Tim Seeley, where for the past six issues or so, it's felt like they're getting to the series finale. It's it's sort of like the um, like 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 a TV show where they're like we might get another series, but here we're gonna wrap up some storylines, and then oh we get another season, and we're gonna wrap we we, we don't know if we're gonna get renewed again, so we'll wrap up some more storylines and stuff like that. Like that's what I've got with this one with with Chu, and Corey is actually right because uh, uh, John Layman wrote, uh, pitched the story to Rob Gilroy back in 2007 at San Diego Comic-Con. And he, he even said that he had a definite general overarching story that he had in mind. So he had a set number of issues in mind, you know, with this story. It's not like, like oh, well, like Walking Dead, they're on issue 160-something, 170 in the comics or spawns at like, like close to 300 and all this and it's like oh well there's no real end in sight sort of deal for these for these issues for these comic books just at image alone but yet here it's like we have this natural end and it is a long end it, it is a long you know long or is a big number of books there 
you know, as opposed to some other books where it's like, oh, well, it was a six issue miniseries or, you know, the interest lost came, fell out after issue 20. So, you know, we got to maybe 24 or something like that. You know, this, it was very good to read. Very funny. Um, a lot of the, again, a lot of the references in there, Christy, I really think you would love this book to be honest. Yeah. Um, because just because of the, there's a lot of references in there that you're like, Oh, I get that reference. You know, <laughs> it's like here. And even like just some of the little, little Easter egg stuff that they put in like the background scene in the background on panels. And the fact that the humor is so hilarious. I mean, there are it sounds parts very of, unique actually. Yeah. There are yeah. parts of the book that are very much like, like office workplace comedy where the the main character is hated by his boss but the boss loves his partner sort of deal um you know stuff like that it's really funny and i can't i i want to see the animated feature that they've been working on with this because i you know i think it would be really awesome um but yeah so that is it for nerding out we will have links for all these in the description um you know l later on and we will be right back look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane no it's what is that exactly you know superman is an extraterrestrial so you may hear us talk about him on the alien invasion podcast Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion Podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast Network of Shows. Find us at gncasts.com slash aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. All right, we are back and it is time for our discussion point. And our discussion point is um, about Rogue One. And that comes out in a couple weeks, I believe. Two weeks. Two weeks. Um, That's how long it took to build a house in the money pit. <laughs> yeah. and so we ha we have some articles in here and basically the one article i want to focus on the first article because i, I like this, the second ar article basically was just like hey george lucas uh visited the set of rogue one and here's what he told um the director but the title of the first one is as rogue one looms lucasfilm develops secret plans for new star wars movies and they actually bring up an interesting point um, because when Marvel acquired, or not Marvel, when Disney acquired Lucasfilm and all the, you know, these Star Wars properties and all that, they initially set up with the idea of doing a Star Wars movie every year, starting with episode seven. And then, you know, the, the way they build it was it's a like an episode movie and then a Star Wars story movie and then a, the episode, you know, Star Wars story. And there are talks of, well, what's going to happen after episode nine? Um, you know, it's where are they going to do just an ex like a couple, like a few extra little uh, Star Wars story movies, you know, like a, you know, the Yoda movie or, <laughs> you know, ha like we got the young Han Solo, maybe a sequel to it or something like that. Um, what's going to happen? And the I guess what's going to help with the, with deciding that is how good Rogue One does. 
um, you know, w- with opening weekend and, and its long running standings. Um, Christy, as you know, since you participate in the uh, uh, Cord Killers <laughs> movie draft, yep, <laughs> and are currently second, I believe. I am. I am. It's not going to last long because Rogue One's coming out. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and but I mean, it's an interesting. So, what do you guys feel about the like the fate of Star Wars after Episode Nine? I mean, because at the one on the one hand, you do have the movies that fill in gaps, but at the like in in, in a time when we get like the point where it's like all the gaps have been filled. I don't actually think so. I think the universe is so rich that it it's kind of limitless, really. When you and when you look at how they, I mean, and obviously none of us have seen Rogue One yet, but when you look at the previews for it, it looks like it is part of the Star Wars universe, yet it's its own entity. And I think yeah. they could just kind of indefinitely do that, especially when you look at, I mean, you know, you look at the Star Wars, the Star Wars Guide to Planets. So there you go. <laughs> you know, there's a billion places you could set stories and they're all very different. And the original universe of characters is very different. You could probably go on forever if people, you know, if the demand is there, taking these characters and expanding their stories. I don't see any reason why it couldn't go for a very long time, actually. Yeah. I mean, they've yeah. done, they've done, you know, they've done longer film series with worse stories. So the Star Wars universe is a great story. It, the Transformers film have spun off from oh, the Shia LaBeouf series <laughs> to the Mark Wahlberg series. So that's like being kicked yeah. and drunk and then, you know, bashed on the back of the head at the same time. But no, I, I completely agree is that when it comes to Star Wars, I'm more disappointed that with the prequels, that it was about the Skywalker family, that it was about Darth Vader before he was Darth Vader. Because, yeah, I want to see the guy who isn't as cool um, to get to the predetermined point that I know better than almost anything. Uh, yeah, it's let's let's just see the buildup of that. It's like the, the Fear of the Walking Dead show. I don't give a crap about Fear of the Walking Dead because the show is interesting when the zombies are there. <laughs> I don't need to see it getting to the zombies. I like to see the world that's already existing um, where all the cool shit is happening. Um, I think that Star Wars is better because it's an expanded universe. I think Star Wars is better because it's limitless. And so we've seen stuff with the Jedis, which way cool. Gotta love the Jedis. But the Jedis are better when they're used sparingly. It's better when there's a couple of them at best or a, a good one and a bad one to, to fight than it is when there's hundreds of them. You have the hundreds of them in one film, but don't just spend all the rest of the time just concentrating on them. When you go into the first, and I mean by first uh, episode four, Star Wars movie, the reason why I captured, captured people's imaginations is because of things like the cantina scene. It was because there was so much there and people obsessed over that. They named characters that didn't need to be named. They were <laughs> like, why is a guy in a fucking regular NASA suit there? And they tried to track down these stories as to how that could actually be. Because Star Wars is limitless. You know, it's about a galaxy far, far away. It, it But galaxy is not one person or one group of people. And one of the reasons why I really liked the the new films is because it wasn't just about Han and Leia and Luke. It was about new characters. And yeah, there's rumors that maybe some of those characters have some Skywalker solo legacy. That's possible and that's realistic, but I don't want that to be all that it's about. And I'm excited about Rogue One. 
I'm less excited, although I like the casting uh, for the Han Solo and uh, Lando Carizian characters because I don't want to see these characters played by other people. Han Solo should only be one guy, and and we've we've seen him. The grow problem up with that and, is and that is that is. guy is eighty years old. Damn it! Right, so I don't need to see him. <laughs> His origins younger than he already was in Star Wars. It's not yeah. like it's Star Wars. He was kicking rocks or anything. He was a young <laughs> dude. Um, so do we need to see these characters even before that, or can we see other characters that have interesting personalities and interesting backgrounds, and and new ships and new designs and stuff? I I always feel like. When you limit yourself to the same thing over and over again, you get diminishing returns. The nostalgia plays a very big part in why the new Star Wars stuff is is succeeding, but it can only go so far. And a lot of people's biggest complaints about Star Wars Episode Seven was that it felt like a retread of Episode Four. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree with that but i also don't have a huge problem with it because i think it was really well done i just don't want to see then episode five again i don't want to see episode six again i want to see new things i think they're capable of that and we get more imaginative people in there um we'll get better films because of it I think that was almost purposeful, though, honestly, because the Star Wars films have been away for so long that I think they kind of it was kind of done with a wink. Like they knew what they were doing. They knew that some of it was kind of repetitive and some of it was derivative. And and that was okay. And I I actually had no problem with it at all because they made it really fun. I mean, you you, that, you know, the two hours or whatever it was just flew by because it was so much fun to watch. But then the origin story thing. I don't know. I have a tough time seeing anyone other than Harrison Ford as Han Solo in any yeah. iteration. So when they had him in the new movie as older Han Solo, I was perfectly fine with that. Recasting some guy as young Han Solo who isn't that much younger than Han Solo was in the movie, just like Corey said. I, I don't know. I, I'm i a little disappointed in that. Plus, you're always going to be looking at the actor going, well, he doesn't quite look like Harrison Ford just because that's the nature of this character that's been around for so long. Yeah. How can you see anyone else in that role? You know, it's well, just an odd thing. The only time that's really worked has been, I think, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt played a young version of Bruce Willis in a movie that they were in together. You know, because Joseph Gordon-Levitt was working with the guy who he was playing, and it played into the story and everything. Right. But otherwise, the comparisons are always hard. I, I, I didn't have a huge problem with how they did Men in Black 3, mm-hmm. but it was like, would I rather see the young version of, of this character or would I rather see Timely Jones in the movie or would I rather see a new character if he's not willing to do it, willing and able to do it? it it's it's kind of like how how well these things are pulled off and what is our buy-in? And and honestly, it, I love Han Solo and everybody loves Han Solo and he's, he's certainly one of the biggest selling points and I think we didn't have a Han Solo in the prequels and that's part of why they suffered so much is there was not that sense of fun. There wasn't that rogue aspect. Everybody was just kind of very stiff. Um, and so concentrating on him again makes a certain degree of sense, but what we need is the spirit of Han Solo. We don't need young Han Solo. And see what I liked about the new movie is like what you pointed out too, is the new characters that they put in were great characters, super strong characters. You like, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's different for you guys, but you kind of felt like a really quick connection to the characters, almost like you did after watching the original Star Wars movies for such a long time. And I would almost rather they go to like, like go to Hoth, go to Naboo, go to Tatooine. What are the people like that live there? Let's pull some heroes out of those different planets. 
not just yeah. the you know the places that we're used to mm-hmm. having our characters be centered go further out you know the star wars universe like we were saying is a gigantic you know endless universe let's what else is out there who else is out there who do we not know yet who do we need to meet not just the same yeah. you know I, I will say this again. i will say this though to the people who complain that the that episode seven was a bit of a rehash of episode four at least it wasn't a rehash of episode one <laughs> I mean, I've, I've said and and i have i've taken some shit for it um that it it would behoove disney to redo the prequels and yeah. i don't mean like reshoot them and and like do a remake of them i mean do new brand stories. new prequels uh, episodes yeah. one two and three just wipe the other ones off the face of the planet like no one ever needs to see these again let's just do episodes one two and three the way that we think they should be done um mm-hmm. show total disrespect to lucas which i'm not i'm not saying that that would be that would be like a total cut to you like dude we we bought your shit but we don't like all your shit um cory as someone who as cory since you live the closest to george lucas thank you for having the balls to say that i've met him i've met the guy sold him pokemon cards for his his kid um i just because nobody loves the prequels like people have have either had grim acceptance for the prequels or when they were kids they saw the prequels and they're like oh these are great and then they grew up and they're like these really aren't that great <laughs> um so it's, it's almost like they're a blemish on what star wars is and we're always going to have to kind of explain what they were away so it it doesn't help if we want to keep showing hayden christensen as anakin at the end of jedi uh people are just like please stop that please give us back the original version of these movies that said, yeah. it, it's like, yeah. how much do we need to invest in the past? Let's invest in the future. The, when you look at what Abrams did with uh, Episode 7, I think he did a great job because he touched on this nostalgia where he needed to. He introduced things, but he gave you a sense of like familiarity, uh, like you're saying, Christy, that it was, it was almost safe in how well he played up. This has happened before. You've seen this before but we're going to give you little bits of new things at the same time while giving you the characters that you you want to see in Star Wars this time. But if you look at Abrams, what he did with Star Trek, he did the same thing with Star Trek 1, and then when Star Trek 2 happened, they went back to the well again. They felt like we have to do a con movie, and it didn't hit the right notes for people because there was no actual connection to con in that movie other than a name. It didn't make any sense to revisit it uh, because it wasn't as good as the original. It didn't have the impact. It didn't have the emotional connection that we had built to Khan earlier right. by him being in the show and then what they used him for in the film. So it was animosity that wasn't earned. Now, I know um, we're talking about Star Wars, but did you, what did you guys think of Star Trek Beyond? Because I just watched that at home and I really liked it. I thought it was way better than the second one. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list, but I think Beatmaster okay. has said very good things about it. And okay. that's yeah. part of the reason why it's on my list. And I, I think that they learned the mistakes from Star Trek too. And they've even said that they feel like those were mistakes. Like the we're hiding that it's con to give you the reveal, but then the right. reveal doesn't mean anything. I, they they know as storytellers that they they did some some things wrong with that. And I appreciate the fact that he learns. And so I think that's what they would not do with Star Wars, is they would not say, Here's here's the Star Wars that you know for the familiarity sake. And then we're going to just keep giving you that again. I think that they like, 
they realized that the connection that people had to these characters, um, not just the two leads, but also Oscar Isaac's character mm-hmm. was a surprise at how much people were attached yeah, to him. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, that's, yeah, that's great. I think that that shows that people want Star Wars, but not just the same Star Wars. We want to see this thing expand, and it deserves to. It does. I will say, honestly, with how much oscar isaacs was even in the movie i'm surprised that everyone gravitated towards him i mean because it, it seems like he wasn't in the movie that much but he and... drew a very rich character very quickly yeah you no, know yeah. I mean, so yeah i mean, I mean he, he was he was the han yeah yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I was I was actually just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> this episode sounds up very interesting. Me and Corey have actually men- merged minds. <laughs> it's funny. I feel a man of steel rant coming on right about now. Oh, <laughs> oh dear lord. <laughs> um, but no, I mean it's. Yeah, I, I'm I am excited for this uh, for Rogue One. I've I've grown up a Star Wars fan. Actually, I think I mentioned this in when Christy was the interviewee on for galactic radio that cause we, we talked more star Trek, but I'm like, I had to do the full admittance. I grew <laughs> up more star Wars than star Trek. And you know, all that. I have respect for star Trek, but I haven't dove in, in d- dived into the well, that is star Trek yet, uh, quite yet. Um, I've watched the, the first two, you know, uh, beyond or not beyond, but, uh, Star Trek and the Star Trek into Darkness, and I want to see beyond, you know, for the many reasons of, like, you know, the, the, it's the last movie with, uh, uh, Anton, Ant- Ant- Anton Yelchin, yeah, and uh, Simon Pegg wrote it. I freaking love Simon Pegg, um, and you know, and uh, you know all the things that are that are there, but at the same time, it's it's like, it is when I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna have to. Like, I am going to pay for it, but I have to find, like, okay, when do I pay for it? Is there a sale coming up <laughs> at work and things like that that, you know, I could be like, oh, hey, look, I got it for this much. <laughs> like, a movie I'll be reviewing here in a couple weeks, I, pay- I paid $5 for. <laughs> <laughs> and well worth it. Yes. Um, or I could have got paid for 10 and got the Blu-ray, but I'm like, eh, <laughs> I made the right choice. It came with a digital <laughs> copy anyways. Um, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited – if they do decide, you know, that there's, you know, because, again, you, like you guys said, said that there is a big world uh, in a big universe in the Star Wars universe to pull from, I would be excited to for them to to do that, for for us to see, you know, what, you know, what else, what, where can we go in this galaxy far, far away, you know, and however, you know, wherever we need to do it, um, what, and whether that would take over for a little bit from the episodics um saga okay cool i'm down with it you know i i think you know that you get the good people you know great writers making great stories for great directors to do and we're just gonna have great films agreed yeah and and i i make no secret of the fact that i get really tired of the constant remakes that Hollywood seems to go back to. Uh, they, they just want to keep telling the same stories over and over again. They want to redo the same movies over and over again. And it really frustrates me creatively because as a storyteller, that's not what I want to do. Yeah, I wish I could have come up with Star Wars. And yeah, I wish I could have come up with so many different things. Um, 
but I don't want to just tell that story again, uh, expecting that I'm going to get the same kind of success that it has. Now, yeah, yeah so Evan, Star Wars... I saw Evan just mentioned the mummy, which I just saw that the, the Tom Cruise, <laughs> and I was like, what are they doing now? Why? Just why? Why? The mummy impossible five. <sighs> what? Um, no. yeah, it's <laughs> that, that, that's, that's trying a couple different things. I mean, one, it's coming back to universal monsters, which is okay. I, I get that the universal monsters, there's still a lot of stuff that there's a nostalgia there at the same time. They're also trying to build a shared universe to compete with things like Marvel and DC and stuff. And it's, it's such a weird take to do that. The only time these creatures have really crossed over was in Abbott and Costello. <laughs> so who's going to play Abbott and Costello, goddammit? Um, Simon I just, Pegg and Nick Frost. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, like, what Star Trek did as a TV series is the better model. It, because what it did is it, it was Gene Roddenberry's idea, it was his story, it was his characters, and then he opened it up to all these other science fiction writers and said, come play in this universe. And that's really exciting because they all brought different stories and different takes and different concepts and they pulled them in and it made a much richer universe and a much richer story to to give everybody. And that's that's incredible. That's that's like Twilight Zone. It's like here's a concept, play with this concept, do whatever you want to with it, you know, make it your own, but stay stay in the spirit of what this concept is. Those are to me far more exciting then we're going to tell you the story of these characters and we're just going to take them all the way from beginning of life to death and that's it. Like Sometimes that works, but it's not what you're going to build a franchise on. Exactly. Um, <laughs> sorry, like halfway through a yawn there. Um, not because what you said is boring, but because I'm getting tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I think that's good about doing it here for us. Um, Christy Cates, thank you once again for being our guest. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's been fun, um, you guys. Thanks. Yeah, uh, Why don't you share with people where they can find you at, find your stuff at, and all the things you do. Oh, it's pretty easy. ChristyCates.com has all the links on it, and my name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-K-A-T-E-S.com. I'm on Twitter at Christy Cates, spelled exactly the same, and I'm on Twitter a lot, so if you're looking to find out what I'm currently doing, that's a great place to look. Monday Music News is on diamondclub.tv every Monday at 6. And I also have a YouTube channel. I forgot to mention you guys, but it's just youtube.com slash Christy Cates. And um, I've got my original music up there and also a single series where I'm doing a lot of cover songs that are turning out pretty fun. So I hope you take a look at that too. But yeah, lots of stuff to see. So thank I you guys so much. The, I was excited to see the Amy Mann cover. Oh, thank you. She's great. Such a good singer-songwriter. Yeah, she's yeah, awesome. local. <laughs> Well, thanks, you guys. Yeah. Um, and so here's the end of the show where we plug, we beg for money. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just like you guys, you guys got to pay rent. Well, Galactic Netcast, we got to pay for our, you know, our web hosting and audio hosting and all the, all the hostings and stuff like that. And we got two ways you can do it. It's the holiday season. So the easiest way that you could do it is through the Amazon link. Um, we have an Amazon link at our at our page at gncast.com slash support and you click that and it'll take you to this nice little uh store where anything oh hey look there's one of the things shown on there is men in black 2 we talk and men in, is the third yeah men men, men in black thir- three we talked about that today you, you know and you it does it's not limited to just these things you know anything you find through there 
you can you you could buy it and then like three percent of that comes to us to help keep the lights on it's so easy it does not affect the price at all um actually i'm probably going to do that when i buy my alexa or my echo dot you know just go through the galactic netcast and go hey dave here's three percent so you know sort of thing or if you are a lazy bastard and you don't really do a lot of shopping on amazon because you want to go and feel your goods before you purchase the goods well that's afraid yeah it sounded dirty i didn't mean it to sound quite so dirty um we have a patreon at patreon.com slash galactic netcasts uh real simple first of the month we get you know as little as a dollar a month you know is all we're asking for here um but you know first of the month it gets charged and hey you're done um and the uh you can leave leave us feedback by going to oh look at matt and those arms (laughs) (laughs) um you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 or emailing us mail at com. you can find all of our subscription options and links uh, that they can be found under gncast.com slash subscribe. And you can find you can find our Facebook page at Galactic Netcasts, um, facebook.com slash Galactic Netcasts. Uh, the Twitters, all the Twitters. Uh, we are at Else Nerds. The, the network is at Galactic Netcasts. Beatmaster is at Beatmaster80. Evan is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. I can be found at that Gregor. Corey, where could people find you? Uh, they can follow my Twitter at Donuts Comics. It's actually the... Uh, Twitter for the comic company that I help put out comics for, or you can go to donascomics.com. All right. And this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you guys next week. Or else it'll be another month before I show up again. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to gncast.com. That's gncast.com. 